You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Look at the subject of humility. And from that, we're going we're gonna to pull out an understanding on humility. And so we're going to jump around through Scripture. Now, Scripture confirms itself. It's never contrary. And so we look at different things. So we're going to jump through uh, uh, and around a little bit. So this is the value of reading your whole Bible because when you read just one verse on a subject, you may examine something from a specific angle. But when you read through later on, you can look at it from another angle and sort of understand the whole of an issue. And so that's my objective in the next uh, couple of weeks, maybe not to be absolutely exhaustive, but to give us a well-balanced understanding of humility. So we're going to go through several different points tonight. But before we do, I want us to begin with a word of prayer. We need the Holy Ghost with us as we approach this study. And I felt like the Lord was laying this on my heart and leading this to me. So we need the help of the Holy Ghost. So I want you to invite, amen, God's guidance and his anointing, not only upon me, but upon us as we hear together. Would you pray with me right now? Lord, in Jesus' name, God, I thank you tonight for your word. And I thank you again for this awesome opportunity we have every time that we can gather together in your name. And I ask that your word would have liberty to speak into our life, that these core values and virtues that you have for us could be more than just attained by mental knowledge, but God, let it get into the fiber of our being. Change our lives, and I pray that you would bless your people here tonight by the hearing of the word. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to begin tonight by taking you to two verses of Scripture. The first one I'll call your attention to is from the book of Micah, chapter number 6. And the second one I'll call your attention to is from the book of Matthew, chapter number 11. Going to Micah, chapter number 6, which is a small prophet, book of a prophet in the Old Testament, Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8. And here Micah summarizes, if you will, for us in a capsule verse what it is to live for God. He takes the whole of Scripture and reduces it down to just a few words. There's a few places in Scripture where this happens, where everything is compacted into just a phrase or a sentence. Here's what Micah says, chapter 6 and verse 8. He hath showed me, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Here it is. Micah takes everything and he reduces it down, and he says it's this simple thought, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. I want us to go to Matthew chapter number 11, and we'll look here in Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 29, and I think we might have to be having a little difficulty here with the overhead, 
and that, or the projection of that's okay. Don't worry about that. Let's just follow along in Scripture here. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, Jesus is coming to them, and he's giving them the hope and the promise of rest. And he, he gives an interesting uh, allegory, and he says, Take my yoke upon you, for it is light, and it is easy. And then he says something in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Another translation says, let me teach you. He says, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. I want to stop, highlight or look for a moment at this where he says, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. I want to read it to you if I can in the New Living Translation. That same verse, he says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and, will find, and you will find rest for your souls. Hear this. He says, let me teach you because I am humble. Humility is not something that is automatic in your life. You don't just wake up humble. Humility will never happen on its own. But humility and being humble is something that happens in our life involving both our mind and our heart. It requires a willingness and it requires an effort. We see this when Micah says, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. He presents to us humility as an action to be carried out. It is an action to be done in your life. It is an action to be seen in your life. Humility is something that is evidence because you have put forth effort in there. In our human state, we are programmed for pride. Because of sin, pride becomes our default. But Christ says, let me teach you or learn of me because I am humble or for I am lowly and meek. And so here we can see that this humility is something that is not going to be automatic in our life, but it is something that we are going to have to learn, and it is something that we are going to have to work at to become. Somebody say amen. amen. You're not going to be humble automatically. You're not going to be humble automatically. We could all tell funny stories of things in our life where uh, we have been either humiliated or we have been caught in a prideful moment or uh, we have uh, done something uh, that later on we're absolutely embarrassed about. Uh, pride has a way of uh, creeping into your life. Pride has a way of creeping into your heart. And uh, it doesn't matter how, how you live, it can sneak up on you. 
and uh, you start thinking that, well, I'm, I'm really better than what I am. And uh, I could tell some funny stories about that. Have you ever been in it? Probably everybody has been in the same instance before where you've been in a place uh, that had some high, higher profile people maybe than yourself. Maybe you're there. Maybe it's a conference. Maybe it's whatever. It's a big environment or atmosphere. And there is someone that you've, you've interacted with maybe once before in your life or maybe uh, uh, you, you met them once. And you're across the room a long way, and they look at you, and they wave, and, and, and you're like, oh, they remember me. <laughs> and you wave back, and, and, and they're trying to say something to you, and you, you don't understand them. And, 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 and then all of a sudden, they get up, and they walk across, and immediately, you just know, like, look, I'm so great that of all the people in this room, they're coming to see me. And they walk right up to you to reach around you to shake the hand of the person sitting behind you. You know what I'm talking about? And, uh, or, or you interrupt them and they're like, oh, I, I, who are you again? I'm sorry, you know, uh, uh, where those things, and, and you walk away and you're humiliated. You think, oh, wow, you remember, uh, it's a horrible kind of setting. Humility and pride. These are things that we deal with probably on a daily basis. On a daily basis, there is room for pride to creep up into our heart. There is uh, uh, room for us to make mistakes, and we have to work at being humble. It happens in the marriage. It happens in the home. It happens in the parent-child relationship. It happens at work, within the work relationship. And so this issue of humility is one that affects every single one of us. We're going to talk about that. We're going to look at this as we go to some scriptures and we begin to unfold some things and realize uh, uh, the significance of this. But first, let me establish that humility is something that we have to approach with a willingness and a desire to possess it inside of our heart. We're going to look later on in this study at the promises of humility, and we're going to look at at the truth about the end of the proud and what pride really does, how it really destroys. But the first thing I want to look at here tonight is this, and that is uh, the first point we'll cover here tonight is the truth about pride. The truth about pride. The truth about pride is this, that the problem is always pride. The problem is always pride. I don't know, Caitlin, if you could help me out and run on my desk and grab that book for me. I meant to bring it in, but I left it there. The problem is always pride. Whenever you have a problem in your life, usually at the core of that problem, it's pride. We were talking the other night at the leadership team meeting here on Saturday about uh, leaders being problem solvers and how really as a leader you are, if you're going to be a leader, you are nothing more than a problem solver. And uh, if you work in management, if you work in any kind of thing, if you own your own business, you realize that what makes you successful is the ability to navigate problems, the ability, the ability to solve problems. In fact, good business is providing a solution to somebody else's problem and people realizing that and then being willing to pay for that. That's what makes business successful. And so you are a problem solver. But in the church and in reality in the world, Every problem that you have is a people problem. There's no problem that you have that is not a people problem, especially 
in the church because in the church we are in the business of souls and we're in the business of people. We have, if we have a problem, we have a people problem at the root of everything. And so what we have to realize is that the problem is not just people, but the problem is pride. If we have a problem in the church and let's say we have, we don't have enough, we don't have enough people coming to the church, uh, then that is a people problem. If we, if we don't have enough money, we don't have a money problem, we have a people problem because if there were people there that were excited about the church and about the kingdom of God, they would give. And so ultimately everything is a people problem. And when you have a people problem, the problem with the people usually at some point, the issue is the issue of pride. A good friend of mine a couple uh, months ago recommended this book to me, and, and I want to recommend it to you. It's a book, it's, I think it came out in 2016, and so for anybody that's a reader, this is an easy read. If you're not a reader, this, this book will uh, challenge you, and I think it will encourage you too. And the title of the book, I love the title, and the title is Ego is the Enemy. Ego is the Enemy. It's written by a man by the name of Ryan Holiday. To my knowledge, from what I've read of here, uh, Mr. Ryan is not a Christian. He's not a believer. He does not uh, hardly ever in here quotes. I, I don't think I've found him ever quoting Scripture. Uh, but the interesting thing about this is all of the principles and a lot of the things that he is saying here are principles that come out of Scripture and uh, principles that we're going to look at. So uh, uh, I thought this was an excellent title, and I thought maybe we should title the series Eagle is the Enemy. Ego is the Enemy, but I'm not taking the series from this book. So this would be a good companion to the series. But what I want to do in this series is look at the Word of God and let the Word of God put the principle inside of our heart. But he said this, Ego is the Enemy. He said, if you're aspiring your dreams, the biggest problem that you have is not people that get in your way, but it is when you get in your way. And when you get in your own way, usually the problem is the ego. Can I tell you, that's never been more true in our Christian walk with God. There are many people in the church that get hung up on pride and get hung up on ego. And because their ego is offended, they walk away from the church. Or because their ego is offended, they find themselves in a position where they cannot progress in the kingdom of God because they're not willing to lay down their pride. Can I tell you, you cannot approach the gospel with pride. Well, well I don't want to go to a church where I have to serve. I don't want to go to a church. People uh, uh, that, that, are, that, are, that are very wealthy and very successful, sometimes it's difficult to serve in the kingdom of God because in your line of business, you're going to pay somebody else to do all that stuff. But in the New Testament, when they came together, they came together and they washed one another's feet and they served one another and they said, this is what needs to be done. This is how you serve one another. Don't pay somebody else to do that and say, well, I'm above that. They said, no, you get down and do that. This is what Jesus said. He picked up the towel. And as he's going around washing their feet, Peter said, oh, no, no, no. It was pride that got in the way. Lord, don't wash my feet. You're too, you're too great. And the Lord said, if I cannot serve you, 
If I cannot humble myself and serve you, then you will have no part of me. The only way you access the kingdom of God is if I humble myself and I serve you. And the only way you stay a part of the kingdom of God is if you humble yourself and you serve one another. Can I tell you, pride says I don't want that kind of a gospel. I don't want that kind of Christianity. Pride says, no, I'm going to be a consumer and the church is going to be a vendor. But amen, the gospel of Jesus Christ comes and God said, Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. So the biggest thing that's keeping you from the benefit, the liberty, amen, what did the cross bring? The cross brought victory over death. The cross brought victory over sin. The cross brought freedom and liberty. It's because of the cross that I can run boldly into the throne room of grace. So if I want to attain victory and liberty in my life, I've got to first lay down my ego. Hello? I've got to lay down my pride, and I've got to be willing to approach the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we have church here, we open up the altar for prayer. And I know there's nothing magical about the altar, and I know there's nothing uh, uh, about this altar that's, that's more anointed than where you're sitting. God could fill somebody right where you're sitting with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. God can touch somebody. He can, give, he can give somebody a miracle in the foyer. He can give somebody a miracle in their car. They don't even have to come to church. The power of God is without limitation. God can do it wherever. But I also know this, and, and, and we try to be, careful and, and not offensive, not uh, aggressive in a negative sense when guests come to the house of God, especially somebody that comes to church for the very first time. How many remember coming to church for the very first time? Some of us, we were raised in church, so we don't remember that. But for others of us, we remember coming to church for the very first time. And there is, there is a, a, a counterculturalness that goes on. And uh, Brother Ryan, I know you, you, you were a first generation and so I don't know, I'm not going to put words in you, but in your mouth, but I've heard a lot of people say, man, the first time I thought they were, I thought they were weird, I thought they were crazy. Hello? Or this is different, I've never, I'm, out of my, I'm out of my zone here, I don't know what's going on. And so we, we, we're aware of that, and we, we try not to, to, to bother someone because we don't want to be a hindrance to someone when they come. If the Holy Ghost is dealing with somebody right where they're sitting, I don't want to come over and drag them out and kill everything that the Holy Ghost is doing. But I also do know this, that at some point in their walk with God, as God is reaching them, for them to go forward in the Holy Ghost, for them to go to the next level, they at some point have to crucify themselves and lay down their pride. At some point, they have to come to the intersection where they say, I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. I don't care what anybody else says about me. I don't care what else happens to me. I've got to get to God. I've got to humble myself. And I do know that in the church experience, when we come to the house of the Lord, we, we worship God. We lift our hands. Sometimes the tears begin to flow and you begin to cry. And if, if I mean, most people don't like to cry in front of other people. I've, I've gone to people's I've gone to funerals for people's parents and they were crying and they came and they felt the need to apologize to me. And I'm saying, 
don't apologize to me. You just went through the hardest. You have nothing to apologize for. But sometimes we're so nervous and worried about that. But in our walk with God, at some point, we've got to say, I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I've got to get a hold of the Lord for myself. And that is what is beautiful about the Pentecostal experience because I've seen people who said, I will never do that. Come on. God get a hold of them. And as the old timers would say, God used them to mop up the floor by the time he was done with them. The Holy Ghost come all over them and they come down to the altar and they lift their hands and, and they repent. And God fills them with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to tell you, that is a beautiful thing. Now, not, everybody, not for everybody, it's not going to be the same way. But for everybody, you are going to have to come to a place where you crucify yourself. And you crucify the flesh in your life. And you lay your pride down and you say, hey, I don't care about anything else. Can I tell you the greatest moments I've had with God is when I got to the place to where I didn't care who was around. Uh, and sometimes, can I tell you, don't mature to the place that you forget that. Just because you've been living for God for 30 years doesn't mean that every once in a while the Holy Ghost can't have liberty with you. Hey, man, sometimes you're going through a season in life. I've been there where, you, where the Holy Ghost hits you and you say, I don't care if this is out of protocol. I don't care if this isn't proper right now. I've got to worship the Lord, and I'm going to dance the way I know how to dance, and I'm going to praise Him the way. And you've got to, you've got to be willing to lay your pride aside. Amen. Ego is the enemy. How many times do people come to church and they don't get a victory? Old timers say, used to say, you, got a you need a blessing. You need a blessing. What they were talking about was when you let go of your pride and let the Holy Ghost have his way in your heart. Can I tell you, we can never get too mature for a blessing from the Lord. We can never get too mature in the Holy Ghost where God can't bless our life. So ego is your enemy. Ego is the enemy. Mr. Ryan here, I don't know if, if, if he's a believer, but man, if he's not, he's on the right track. The Holy Ghost is going to get a hold of him. Ego is the enemy. So I recommend this. He, he's not a Christian, but I recommend this book. I'd recommend this to families. I'd recommend this to individuals. It, listen to it on Audible, whatever. It's going to be a great thing. It's going to help you. He makes a statement in here. And I, I want to put this statement up on the screen if we have it. He says, when we remove ego, we are left with what is real. When we remove ego, we are left with what is real. The reality about humility is this, that when you humble yourself before God, what you are doing is you are just acknowledging the reality of who you are. What is humbling yourself before God? It's, it's, it, and I'm bringing this way down, bringing it to layman's terms. It's, it's stopping the pretense of being something that you're not. What am I? I'm a sinner at best saved by grace. I'm a sinner in need of God's mercy. I'm here tonight. I need the reality of God in my life. When you remove ego, you're left with what's left. You know what? Ego is, uh, pride and ego is all the rage of our culture. It's in everything. When we get done with this study, 
you're, you're going to look at this in your life as I do. I look at it and I'm like, wow, man, it's in everything, everywhere. We put on this pretense. We put on, we put on this, uh, uh, our culture, you know, uh, smile and pretend and, 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 and act like this. And, and, and we walk around. It's pride that lets you walk around as something that you're not. But when you humble yourself, that doesn't mean that you're disgracing yourself. It's not, it's not debasing yourself in, in some sense that uh, you think you're greater, but you're going to lower yourself. No, what, what it really is is saying, here, God, here's the reality of who I am. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a, uh, a scene that plays out that's so powerful. I was talking with a, another pastor last week about this episode that takes place in the life of a man by the name of Aaron. If you're not familiar, Aaron was the first high priest in the Old Testament. When Moses is sent by God back to let the children of Israel out of Egypt, he leads them out in the wilderness. And although Moses is uh, sort of the patriarch over the tribe of Levi, God appoints Aaron as the high priest, and Aaron becomes the first priest. He's the high priest to officiate. And so Moses is the prophet, but Aaron's the priest, and he goes through all this stuff. So Aaron spends 40 years in the wilderness wearing priestly garments. I mean, if you read about the garments, these, these were like the finest of the fine. These were incredible, impeccable. Uh, they had in the garments, there was all kinds of, of stones, that were, uh, different stones, golds and silvers. The dyes uh, that they used were exotic dyes. I have a, a, a prayer shawl. Uh, it's very... Uh, expensive, exotic, whatever you want to say that came from Israel is given by uh, a good friend in Jerusalem. And the blue that is in that, it, it's a, uh, uh, a sort, it's not a dark royal blue, but it's just a brilliant blue. The dye that they used to make that, when you read the Old Testament, you, you, you may skip some of those things, but the dye they used to make that blue, to get that color blue, it comes from uh, a, a snail that lives in that area, in that region. It's the craziest thing. That snail only lives in that region, but that snail produces a blue blood, literally a blue blood. And it's only right in that surrounding area. And so they, they use that dye, and that's what, that's what makes the color of that garment. Aaron would have had that same dye in, in the corners of his garment. So every part of his garment was just ornate. I mean, it was a show stopper, if you will. When you got inside of that tabernacle and you began to see everything, wow, he was the high priest. For 40 years, he lives as this. This robe, these garments become his identity. I mean, you can imagine what that must have done to his psyche as he is the only one that is going into the Holy of Holies, as he is the only one that's a part of that. Uh, uh, and, and at the end of his life, Moses goes up on the mountain, and Aaron goes up with him. And there's this scene, this episode at the end of his life where the Bible says that God strips Aaron of his garments. And Moses says, okay, you've come as far. God is saying you've come as far, and now it's time for someone else to be the high priest. And Aaron, you're done. And the garments were being taken off of Aaron to be put on somebody else. And as Aaron is there, he is stripped of his garments. And literally, 
He's left naked and bare. He is, he is stripped of everything he has. And now no longer can he hide behind the royal garments and, and these, these, these expensive stone and everything else that he could hide behind. But now he is just left bare in who he is. He's just another man before God in need of God. With those garments, it was the ability to think, well, I'm the high priest. I'm invaluable. They need me. But the reality is, is no, Aaron, you were just fulfilling a role, and when you're done, God will use somebody else. But you as an individual are just another man, and you are going to stand before God on your own. You are going to have to give an account for your life. And in our life, as we live for God, we must always remember that we can't hide behind the garments and the blessings that God gives us. As pastor, I can't stand and say, well, I'm valuable. Look, look, they need me. They, they can't live without me because at the end of the day, I am stripped of all of that. And humility realizes that I am just another person in need of God's grace. Pride would say you don't need to pray. But humility says, no, you need to pray just as much as the sinner. Amen. Pride says you don't need to worship, but humility says no, he's a great God. You need to worship God just as much as anyone else. Pride says, well, you're strong enough in your walk. You don't have to do all that. But humility realizes without God every single day, I am nothing. Is this all right? Humility is the, is the solution. Humility is not the answer to everything. But what humility does is it gives us access and leverage for the answers in our life. If pride is the problem, the remedy begins with humility. Andrew Murray said this. He said, he sees, he's talking about a believer that is truly humble. He says, he sees that humility is simply acknowledging the truth of his position as creature and yielding to God his place, meaning yielding to God his place as Lord of our life. When I approach God, amen, I must realize that I am just creation, and he is the creator. We forget that in our life. Come on, have you ever tried to boss God around? I left today, and it's coming to the office this morning, and so... I told Luke, I said, okay, Luke, daddy's got to go. Give me a hug. And he came over and he gave me a hug goodbye at home, as that's how we do most days, right, bud? And, uh, and then I said, okay, Luca, you're the boss. He said, you, you be a good boy and be the man of the house. Well, daddy's gone. You're the boss. And he immediately ran off, went to mom and said, mom, I'm the boss. I'm the boss. Right? Yeah, that's what it does. Sometimes we, we forget and we think we're the boss. Come on, as parents, we, we, we boss our children around. Come on. And then sometimes with God, we want to tell God to do the same thing. As, as spouses in the marriage, can I tell you, ego is the enemy. Amen? Ego is the enemy. And, and, and we, we try to stiff arm God with things. We try to dictate things with God. Perhaps we've done it this year. God, if you do this, I'll do this. And we realize, no, we're not, we're not serving a God that is answering to our terms. We are living for a God answering to his terms. We are creation. He is creator. 
We can never fail to forget that. Pride is going to hijack your prayer life. Because pride is going to say, God, I've got this problem and I need you to do this. Humility comes to God and says, God, I've got this problem. But Lord, I realize your thoughts are not my thoughts. And your ways are not my ways. For your ways are high above the heavens. And what I do know, God, is that you love those that love you and you, you know those that trust you. And so, God, I'm bringing you my issues and I'm casting my cares upon you. But in the casting of the cares, I'm doing it in humility. I'm not casting my cares telling you what to do. I'm doing it humbly because I know you know what's best. And humility yields to God's sovereignty every time. Pride really is the problem. Sometimes we have unanswered prayers, and people have backslid over unanswered prayers. But can I tell you, I've lived long enough for God that I'm thankful that he didn't answer all of my prayers. There are prayers I prayed if he would have answered, I wouldn't be here today. There are prayers I prayed if he had answered, if he had answered, my life would be a mess. My life would be full of misery. I'd have, you want to talk about burden, I'd have burden upon burden in my life. But I thank God that he did not answer prayer. So when I know that in humility and I come to the Lord and I pray, I always pray, God, I believe, I know what you're able to do. Here it is. But God, you're sovereign <laughs> and I am not. You're the creator and I'm the creation. And so God, while I think this is what I want to see happen and I think this is the best, I ultimately pray your will and your glory. And can I tell you, there is a confidence that comes in knowing that you are living before the Lord humbly. Ego is the enemy. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 18. And I hasten on. Proverbs 16 and 18 declares this, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When you and I fail, it's pride. It's a principle. It's a biblical truth. It's a rule that you can write down. Go back to failure in your life. Go back to failure somewhere. Go back to failure in a relationship. Go back to failure in a marriage. Go back to failure in your career. At some point, somewhere, you're going to see pride rearing its ugly head. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. What is he saying? He's saying wherever there is destruction, when you do the autopsy, if you will, when you do the crime scene investigation, somewhere in the ashes you're going to find pride. Pride is the reason. When there's failure, when there's falling, there's always pride in your life. Pride in the situation. Pride in the formula. The relationship did not work because someone allowed pride to get in the way. You can see sometimes too people get together, two young couples, two young individuals, and they say, we were talking about it the other day, and they say, oh, I found my forever love. And people that are a little bit older and a little bit wiser and have been down the road a little bit, smile, and then walk out of there saying, oh, Lord, help them. Because you can see the traces of pride. 
when one is, is bending over backwards to appease the other and there's no check in the anger that's always one way and there's no give and take, there's no balance in the give and take, let's say. And it's always got to be one way. It's certain destruction. It's pride of the youth to say, no, we got this figured out. No, we can work this. No, we can do this. Pride that resists resist advice. Pride resists counsel. Pride says, I've got it all figured out better than anybody else. It's amazing how smart you are at age 13. And if you think you're smart at 13, just wait until you're 16, 17, 18. You know everything. And in some way along the line, usually by the time you hit 21, for some it's slower than others, you realize you're not as smart as you was. And the older you get, if you really do mature, you keep realizing, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Wow. And I need help. I need more advice. I need to pay attention. If I'm here today, it's only by the grace of God and a whole bunch of other people that loved me and took time with me. And I thank God for that because no one escapes that. No one escapes that. Everybody thinks I can do this. I just bought a house a couple years ago thinking I can do this. We're going to gut this whole thing in no time flat. We're going to fix this out. I'm going to tell you, I'm a lot smarter at age 40 than I was at age 38. <clears throat> Time is a painful teacher. Ego is your enemy. And can I tell you, you can make mistakes like that with a house. You can make mistakes like that with material things. But you can't make mistakes like that with your life. The quicker you realize, God, I need you, the quicker you can learn to lay aside pride and begin to say, you know what, I was wrong, I need help, the quicker you can find your way out. And can I tell you, there is no problem that isn't solvable. There is no prayer that isn't answerable. There is no request that is too big that God can't come down and redeem. That's the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the power of the message of the cross. God is a redeemer. You can't get too deep, amen, that God can't pull you out. You can't go too far that God can't pull you back. And if you're not running back, it's only because of pride. Backsliders are held hostage by the pride in their life. Well, I can't go back to church because I know what they would think. I tell you, you've got to get to a point like the prodigal son, and we'll look at this later on, where he come to himself in the pig pie, at the pig pen, not a pig pie, pig pen. Maybe it was a pig pie, I don't know. The mess, the stench. He got so low until finally he realized, I'm better off being a servant in my father's house that I am not being in the house. I was a child, but, but I realized I'm better off being a servant in my father's house than I am not being in my father's house. Can I tell you, that was the reality from the day he walked away from home. Those moments he was partying it up and he was wasting all of his substance in the city, at that point, the truth was he was still better off as a servant in the house than he was out there outside of the house. But he had to go so low until realize at that point, total humiliation, nothing less to left to lose. I'll just go back and ask for a place of servanthood. Of course, when he ran back, the father 
said, no, you're not going to be a servant. I'm going to restore you. You may have wasted some things that you can't get back. There are some things. You can't roll back the clock. You can't go back and undo those things. But he says, you're still my child. You're still my son. You're still my daughter. I can still receive you in. Pride holds people hostage. Pride holds people hostage to the grace and the mercy of God. When you fail, it's because of pride. Go with me to Proverbs 13 and 10. This is another truth. Now, these are hard truths. This is a hard truth for me. Every time there's destruction somewhere in my life, I can find in the traces that there's pride. But get this. Whenever there's a fight in your life, it's because of pride. Look at this. Proverbs 13 and 10. Only by pride cometh contention. But with the well of vice is wisdom. Only by pride cometh contention. What's that mean? That there is no contentious thing in your life that does not exist except there was pride somewhere. Every contention. What's he talking about specifically? He's talking about contention in relationships. He's not talking about, he's not talking about contention with things. Things don't argue with you. But pride comes in. It's relationships. It's people. Every problem is a people problem. Every problem at the root of the matter is a people problem. The problem is not money. So many times we make the mistake of saying we've got a money problem. Can, can I tell you, I, I'm so blessed in my life. I, I, after Sunday and Monday, had just a wonderful day. And... No different than any other day, but I'm so blessed. I, I told my wife, I was so thankful. I said, babe, you could, you could give me a mansion and you could give me, I don't know, think of the most expensive car, Bugatti, whatever, Veyron. You could give me whatever and I would, I, I, none of that would provide any happiness. I said, I'm so blessed, so blessed in my family, blessed in my marriage, blessed in my home, blessed in, 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 among my friends, blessed in my church. They're not running me out. They, they, they love me. They, I mean, like, I was like, you can have all of that. I don't care. I told her, I, I hope I didn't depress her, but I said, I said, I don't mind living in a house that's not finished. I got everything. And then I quickly said, now I'm going to finish the house, though, babe. You know, don't, don't worry about that. But who cares? Who cares about the rest of that? Right now, my biggest battle going on in my life is I got a mole in my yard. Spent all that time on my new lawn, spent all that investment, and I got a mole, and he's tearing that thing up. Janelle was taking a video of me the other day. I was trying to get the mole. I was, I'm out there. I've resorted. I've paid money. I've paid, I've paid hundreds of dollars for people to come out and solve the mole problem. Then nothing, nothing. So now it's resorted to me and a shovel going around the yard. Don't drive by my house because you might see me out there in the... In the yard. It's a mess. My yard is a mess. Where it was nice and green, now there's dirt piles overturned all over the place. Can I tell you, that stuff in life, that doesn't matter. If your relationships are right. If your relationships are right. Only by pride cometh contention. Every contention you have is going to be a pride issue. Now, in a relationship, there's more than one person involved. And so the pride could be on the other person's fault, but you have to identify what the issue is. Pride 
is the issue, the source of every fight, of every argument, of every contention, of every envying, of every strife. What is the problem? The problem is pride. And how do you solve it? You don't solve pride by pride. Rearing up your head and say, well, I'm going to show them. Like, I'm going I'm to push them back down. I'm going I'm to push back. That doesn't solve anything because pride doesn't solve pride. What solves pride is humility. Humility is not some uh, uh, unhealthy, unbalanced kind of state. Humility doesn't turn you into a victim. That's not what I'm talking. Humility is just pushing ego aside and realizing what's left. You can't, go into a, you can't go into conflict resolution thinking that I'm better than somebody else. I'm never going to resolve anything. I only go into that when I realize, hey, I'm a sinner in need of God's grace just as much as they are. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that here a little bit later. But every fight that you have is a result of pride. What does pride do? Pride sucks the sweetness of everything out of life. Pride is like a mold that rots and corrupts great things. The holiest of things and the most blessed things in life are ruined by pride. Don't let the blessings of the Lord rot in your life because of pride. If you have anything, it's because of the blessings of God. It's because of the goodness of God. You are just as much a human as everybody else. You are just as much dependent upon the oxygen available in the air at the time that you are breathing as the next person. You are as dependent as they are. There is nothing about you that is exalted above the lowest of humanity. You are just as dependent. The, the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The sun rises on the just and the unjust. And so you've got to realize, amen, that you've got to live life in humility. But when pride comes in, it sours everything that would testify to the glory of God. God blesses you because of your obedience or because of your faithfulness or because you've yielded to him, because you let his word work in your life. Don't take the blessings of God and let those rot or sour with pride and all of a sudden you start thinking you're better than somebody else because of, look at what I've got. You've always heard me say, we've got to go back to realize that if it had not been for the grace and the Holy Ghost and the power of God, you might also still be living in a gutter. I don't know where your family came from, but I know where my family came from. And every time I think of that, it's a testimony to the power of God. It's not a testimony to the intellect or the good genes that are in my DNA. No, no, no. We needed the grace of God to pull us out of the gutter, out of the pit. And if God did that for me and my family, then that means God can do that for whosoever will. Anyone else. It's got to start with someone. It's got to start with someone. It's got to start somewhere along the line. Don't let pride sour. You, you say, what are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about after God, how, how foolish would it be for me to look down on somebody else after it was my mother and my grandparents and my great-grandparents who it was that walked in in a humiliated state the first time they entered a Pentecostal church. Now I sit on a pew and now I'm blessed 
to know what it's like to live in a home without alcoholism and drugs and, and without all kinds of abuse. And I, I, I know what that's like to look down upon somebody else as if I'm something better. No, I, it's a glory and a testimony to God. I give glory to God, but it was nothing that I did, nothing that we did. But isn't that how we are? Pride creeps into our heart a little bit. You, you have the same testimony. You have the same story. I love it when someone comes into church and they, they may not look right and they're messed up. Where, where are those people supposed to go if they can't come to church? You know when they walk into Walmart, people stare at them. You know they're used to that. When they come to church, they ought to be greeted with a smile. Doesn't mean we're not wise and we're not careful and we're not circumspect. But where else can they go if they can't come to the house of the Lord? Where else can they walk if they can't come to the house of the Lord? I know sometimes, you know, people, we, 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 I grew up in a, is this all right tonight? Is this okay? We're just, I grew up in a church downtown Indianapolis. Indianapolis is not a major city. It's a major city, I guess, top 50, but it's not, you know, a massive metro by the world standards. But it's downtown, and we would have people that would randomly frequent the church. There was one time somebody called the church office to verify an address for a man that had given the church as his address. He said he'd been living there for three months. He'd been sleeping in the balcony, and nobody knew it. And we would randomly have people. It was a large church, a lot of entrances, a lot of exits. We'd have random people that'd come through the church, just come in off the street, living off the street, coming off the church. And sometimes I know they don't smell right. And they, they, you know, sometimes... Sometimes people are so bad, and at that point, they're just about the next bottle, and they're just about the next hit. But sometimes they're really desperate, and they're looking for God, and they're actually looking for an answer in their life. And if they go anywhere that's welcoming, it ought to be the church house. It ought to be the church house that says, hey, I'm not going to give you money to enable your addiction, but I will help feed you. I will help provide for you, and I can pray for you. And one thing I can do is I can love you. Can I tell you, that's, that only happens by humility. And people know. They know which churches you can go to to find assistance. And not only that, but they know which churches you can go to, and they'll pray for you. We've got to do more. We sent out a text. We sent out a text yesterday right at our prayer meeting time, just letting people, inviting them to submit a prayer request. We want to pray for you. And you probably, hopefully you all got that text. If you're not on the text list, we're going to update those things. But hopefully you got the text that, hey, we're going to pray for you. And we had several people submit texts. Those people, some of those people, they've only been here one time, but they need prayer and they're reaching out. Can I tell you, we've got to have humility in our life enough to realize that we're not just here for ourselves, but we're here for the kingdom of God. Amen. The remedy begins with humility. Humility with God. Stand together with me tonight. Humility with God. We've got to have humility in our heart. We've got to have humility with God. We've got to have not only humility with God. We'll look at this next week. Humility with God. But we've also got to have humility with each other. And according to Scripture, we cannot have humility with each other and not have humility with God. And we cannot have humility with God and not have humility with each other. They're interwoven. They're intertwined. They go together. And it's constant. I've taken a little time tonight to do a proper introduction or just talk about humility. But I want this to become me. Not that we can go around and say, look at how humble I am. 
but because humility is the only way that you can get access to the Lord in your life. Pride will rear its head every single day in your life. Every destruction, every failure in relationship, every issue that you and I have had in my life, every issue I've had in my life, I can go back to pride. And you know, if we have pride in our heart, we're not going to pray for our enemies. But the Lord instructed us to pray for your enemy. You know how big of a pill it is to swallow? For you to start praying for your enemy. For you to start praying for the person that you're envious of. For you to start praying for the person that's envious of you. That takes a whole lot of humility. That takes a healthy dose of apostolic humility to be able to say, God, to have empathy for them and to begin to pray for them. I'm going to tell you, I believe this with all of my heart. If we can grab a hold of this, there is a revival. There is a revival that God could break forth in this place like never before. You know what kept the backslider a long way away was pride for so long. And what holds a backslider hostage is pride. When they come into the house of God, this needs to be the last place that they encounter pride. But when they come in and they encounter humility, come on, it can melt. I believe there can be anointing that can melt. Amen. The yoke of pride. That's on their life. This is what Christ said. Take the yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am meek. I am humble. You can't have an anointing that breaks the yoke in your life, and you can't take on the yoke of life unless you first encounter the humility of Christ and you embrace that humility in your life. Would you lift your voice with me tonight, God? In Jesus' name, Lord. I pray tonight, God, that your word would be in our life. And I pray that... As we endeavor every day, God, don't let Christianity become a religion and a dogma, God, but let it be a practice. God, I want to learn from you. God, I want to listen to you. I pray every day, God, it doesn't matter whether we're preacher. It doesn't matter where our role or our status is in the church, God. I pray every day that, God, we would listen to you, learn of you, for you are humble, that each one of us, God, would walk in humility before you. I pray right now, God, for every marriage For every mother, every father, God, every child, every daughter, every son, Lord, that's in the house today, God, and every relationship that we are, God, whether the issues on our job, help us to identify the problems of our failures and the problems, God, of the the battles that we fight in our life and help us to stand in humility. I pray tonight, God, that you give us victory and God, you begin to open up some doors and begin to leverage, God, the answer in our life. In Jesus' name.